Welcome to Let's Talk About Grief with your host, Addie Anderson. While death and loss are subjects that nobody likes to discuss, you need to prepare for it and deal with it effectively. On our program, we talk to professionals as well as friends and family members who have lost loved ones to help you help others and understand the grief process. Now, here is Addie Anderson. Hi, I am Addie Anderson, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Let's Talk About Grief. This is where we come together each week and talk about all things related to grief, death, and dying. Today, we will be talking about children. My guest is Dr. Emily Etlin. Dr. Etlin is a licensed clinical psychologist with specialty training in pediatric health psychology. Previously, she served as the clinical program director for the pediatric palliative care team at Children's Hospital Los Angeles and as the clinical program director for for the medical day treatment program at Children's Hospital Colorado, where she had uh, a faculty appointment in the University of Colorado School of Medicine. She is currently in private practice in Oak Park, Illinois. Dr. Atlin received her doctoral degree in clinical psychology from Loyola University, Chicago, after completing her internship at Stanford University School of Medicine. She then received postdoctoral training in psycho-oncology at Children's Hospital in Orange County. Over her career, Dr. Etlin has developed a special interest in death and dying issues with children and is currently the author of her blog and website, The Art and Science of Mom, where she writes about these topics along with general parenting support. So thank you so much, Dr. Etlin, for being on the show. Your background is really impressive for doing this type of work. So just kind of get us started by letting us know how you even got interested in working with children in grief. Hi, Addie. I am really excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, awesome. So you can hear there was a lot of training going into becoming a psychologist finally. And over those years of training, I was in these medical settings and in my fellowship year at Children's Hospital of Orange County, working solely in oncology, I really was profoundly influenced by witnessing the strength and resilience of children and teenagers who are facing life-threatening and sometimes terminal illness. Um, Mm -hmm. It was really incredible. So I started to sit on the hospital's palliative care committee just to learn and realized that I was very interested in how to focus my career on helping families from this sort of palliative perspective, really looking at quality of life no matter what's going on with the disease, as well as looking at every patient and family as a whole person and a whole unit and not just in a medical lens. Mm So after that, I was really lucky to find a job at Children's Hospital Los Angeles with this brand new pediatric palliative care team where I was for four years. And over that time, I was really immersed in all types of grief, including anticipatory grief of families and their, the young patients, as well as working on grief in the bereavement phase. 
And what this opportunity allowed me was really being part of families' journeys from diagnosis through illness Mm -hmm. through realizing the person would not survive through the death process and after. And so to Mm -hmm. see that whole continuum of the experience um, just taught me more than any any book or journal article could ever teach me. So it's Mm -hmm. really been very inspiring. Yeah, I can't imagine that to go, you know, just to be able to uh, bear witness to that spectrum uh, that you had the opportunity to experience in your career. I can definitely see how that could have led you to uh, focus on grief and children. And for me, you know, in my practice, I don't see children. And so that's why one of the reasons I was uh, excited to have you on, just to kind of give some information, you know, to listeners about how they might be able to uh, help the children in their lives. And for me to be able to help adults, parents, you know, Mm -hmm. aunts, uncles, whomever are coming in to see me, just to be able to kind of give them you know, a little bit of information that might be helpful for them as they're helping children grieve. So um, what would you say then, um, Dr. Etlin, are some common myths about children in grief? I think the most common myth that I hear a lot is that they're too young to understand what's happening. So Mm -hmm. there's no need to tell them, especially the younger kids. But even kids as young as three really do have the capacity to talk about this and Mm -hmm. they are affected. So they definitely need developmentally appropriate guidance, but Mm -hmm. the assumption that it's not going to affect them can actually lead to confusion. If this was a loved one that was important to them, that they knew, um, and it can make it much scarier than it needs to be. So I think that that myth is the one that I'm always talking about to try and debunk it um, so people feel more prepared to deal with it with even young children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on that note, would you say then that children grieve differently than adults, because I'm thinking just based on what you said um, about that myth that adults probably are thinking that children are different, you know, when it comes to how they mm-hmm. process grief. And, and so how would you answer that? Do children grieve differently than adults? Yes, absolutely. And it makes sense because their brains are different and still mm-hmm. developing and building capacities that are not yet adults. So this is why I talk about the importance of being developmentally appropriate um, with how to handle death with children. But what is most important, I think, to remember is that younger children, they do not think abstractly yet. So Mm -hmm. usually around age seven, eight, they're starting to do more abstract thinking. But before that, and especially the preschool years, this idea that death is permanent doesn't mm-hmm. work with their, like how their brains are built right then. Mm-hmm. So it can look like they're not getting it or they're not understanding. Um, but 
but they they can. They're just processing it a little bit differently, and we'll talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. But the the other important difference, I think, is that kids can kind of go in and out of their grief more quickly than adults. So there's definitely all, you know, those waves of grief and sadness that can come over us when we're going through the grieving process. But with kids, it can just look a little different where they just run out and play right away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you say, I... do they even understand? I just, I remember once telling a six-year-old older sister her parents had asked me to please talk to her because it was too hard for them. And I explained to her how her brother was going to die. He was still sick in the hospital. And she clearly was paying attention, had a very serious look on her face. Mm-hmm. And then right when I was done, she ran off to keep playing on the playground. <laughs> I, so, you know what? I have seen that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I think they, that's their coping, that's their comfort, is the normal activities. Um, mm-hmm. And they just need some time to process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, can, I have seen um, here recently children who lost a parent. And I think they were, uh, they are, what, about five and six or something like that? Maybe the oldest is ten. And, you know, they just continue to play. It, it mm-hmm. just doesn't appear that they're, you know, bothered by what happened. But you just know in some way that they are and that it, it will manifest in other ways, I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah. So, so what, would you, what should parents say to kids about death and dying? So this could take the rest of our time today. (laughs) This is a big question. Um, So I will be brief about it. However, I would like to just let people know I have a more detailed writing about it on my website. Okay. um, EmilyEdlinPhD.com. So there is a much more detailed explanation and guidance. But I will say that the most basic guidelines Um, they think are the most important are to not use euphemisms like someone passed away or we Mm -hmm. lost grandma. So a Mm -hmm. younger kid may think that if we lost grandma, we can find her again. Mm -hmm. So it it doesn't compute. Um, Another thing that I have seen strike fear into children is the phrase, Grandpa went to sleep and never woke up because then they are terrified to go to sleep <laughs> mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they may not wake up. Absolutely. Um, so really it's best to be very concrete and use the words die and death. Mm-hmm. So just to give an example, um, let's say someone had a heart attack. Your grandpa's body wasn't working right anymore and the doctors didn't did not have the medicine to fix it. His heart stopped beating and he died. Um, Mm -hmm. And it can be really hard because I think our culture dances around those words very automatically and it feels almost harsh. Um, Mm -hmm. But with kids, they need that, younger kids especially need that concrete phrasing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think in general, it's very important to be as honest as possible Um, And after you kind of give the initial information about someone who's going to die or who has died, let them 
the child lead the way with their questions. So Mm -hmm. they will let you know what they're ready for Mm -hmm. by what they ask. Um, So sometimes they need time to process the first batch and then they'll come back with questions. Um, Mm -hmm. But it may be too much to process if we just keep feeding them more information because we're trying to be supportive. And Mm -hmm. um, a really wonderful book that I use a lot and always recommend is called Lifetime, A Beautiful Mm -hmm. Way to Explain Death to Children. It's very simple and it makes death a very natural part of life and not scary. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and as you were talking about that, I think what came up for me is that um, as adults, we talk to children in those vague terms because as a culture, you know, we've been socialized in that way. And I think it's also one of the ways that we try and protect children, like you said earlier, from the truth. And Mm -hmm. Uh even even when I... You know, in my office, I'm having to, you know, help adults understand, you know, that it's okay to use concrete words, <laughs> you know, like death mm-hmm. and dying. So uh, so if, if we as adults are having a hard time with it, I can see why it might be difficult and how we're passing that information down to children and why it might be difficult for them as well. Right. So, um right. How should parents respond if a child asks if their mom or dad will die? So this comes up a lot, and it's really common and normal for younger kids when they first hear about this idea of death and dying. That, I mean, their parents are their everything. So um, when we're talking about not dealing with a dying parent, but someone else, this is a really common question to expect is, are you going to die too, mommy? Um, mm-hmm. Which is another reason sometimes we might dance around it without even meaning to, because it's such mm-hmm. a hard, hard question to hear. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, with this cultural norm of death being scary, there's this automatic response because we want to help our kids feel better in the moment to say, no, I'm not going to die. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And I've heard parents say this. And they're healthy, and there's no indication that they will die anytime soon. But I really promote a more of an honest answer, which would be most people die when they're very old and have lived a long life, and that will probably be true for mommy and daddy. Um, mm-hmm. But the reality is we can't make that promise. And, you know, the worst case scenario would be to say something like that and then have something terrible happen. And that whole trust would just, that would be very complicated for the (laughs) child. So I think, you know, being encouraging, but balancing that with honesty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at least, you know, you're, you're not skating the question as you, as you said, but you're, you're letting them know that, yes, mom, mommy and daddy will die, can die or whatever, but right. it's not something that we're looking to happen anytime soon. And, right. Uh, There's no reason to be worried about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And do you but find... it's hard. That- and, I, you know, I've, I've had my own children ask me those questions. And, of course, it's easier sitting in my professional 
psychologist chair to give the advice. And then when I'm with my own kids, I feel that emotion, um, even mm-hmm. following my own advice. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but kids take that answer pretty well from what I've learned. So, mm-hmm. okay. And do you find that that boys and girls, you know, grieve differently? You know, I, in my experience, I think that any differences in expression of grief really maps onto general differences in expressing emotion for boys and mm-hmm. girls. And I think it also relates to what is being modeled by the adults in their life. So, I see. you know, are the boys seeing the men in their lives crying? Mm-hmm. and showing sadness. Um, that, I think that's more important than it, do boys grieve differently. I think it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think I that. that girls may tend, from my experience, towards being more, um, feeling more of a Dr. burden. Dr. Ellen, Dr. Ellen, will you hold that thought? Will you hold that thought? We'll pick it up when yes. we come back. We're about to go to our first break. So when we come back, you can talk to us about, give us your thoughts about how girls grieve. So I'm talking with right. uh, clinical psychologist, Dr. Emily Edlin. She is the author of her blog and website, The Art and Science of Mom. We'll be right back and we will continue to speak with her. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit therapyoakpark.net. That's therapyoakpark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief. Hi, I'm Addie Anderson, and uh, I am talking today to Dr. Emily Etlin. And before we left left for our first break, she was about to give us her, her thoughts on uh, how girls might approach uh, grief. She talked to us earlier about how boys, she had some good ideas and thoughts about how boys might do it. Now, if you could just pick up right there, uh, Dr. Etlin, and finish your thought about uh, girls and grief. Sure. So I, I think that girls tend towards uh, shouldering the burden of making sure everyone's okay and taking care of others emotionally and also not wanting to become more of a burden by sharing their own grief. So mm-hmm. they're more at risk of internalizing because they're trying to protect people around them. 
um, and are so in tune with their relationships and how everyone else is doing. And of course, these are generalizations and there are variations and individual differences, but it's something to look out for um, in terms of girls grieving. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so let's talk now about something that I, I think a lot of people, you know, especially parents, think about when there is a death in the family. Um, they might always wonder, should the child attend the funeral? And I would imagine you get this question a lot in your practice. So yeah. what are your, your thoughts on children attending funerals? So my recommendation most of the time is that children should go to funerals. And I also wrote a more detailed blog post about this with more information. But especially if it is a loved one who has died and someone who was important to them, I think Mm -hmm. it's really an important part of the whole grief process uh, to be part of this ritual. Um, now, I, I see caveats and in individual you know, differences around some kids have a higher than typical kind of death anxiety already, and this may be too emotionally overwhelming, and I definitely mm-hmm. defer to parents being the expert on their kids. Um, mm-hmm. If they see a reason for their child that it would be more harmful than helpful, um, But in general, I do think that it's a really healthy part of the grief process to be part of it. And even if it's someone really important, is there a role they could play in the funeral? Um, Could they pass out programs? Could they um, write something that they want to share? And the the more that they're involved, the more they're getting out of it for their own own grieving process. Mm -hmm. And so, and I would imagine also that it would be helpful if parents would explain prior to going, you know, what the child might be able to expect, you know, to, you know, yeah. Especially when it comes to open casket. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I've heard, that is one thing that I've heard is can be very scary and disturbing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so preparing the child for what their choices will be at the funeral and they don't have to go look. You know, mm-hmm. having them have feel some control over the experience as well and giving them choices along mm-hmm. the way about, you know, what to do and what to take part in. Um, and I think also preparing children, especially younger children, that there may be a lot of crying and people may be very, very sad, but, mm-hmm. you know, this is what happens and because they love this person so much, so kind of preparing them for the emotion as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And now with uh, your practice, you know, I know you, as we've already mentioned, you have a long history of working with children. And so as a psychologist, when someone comes to you, when, you know, children are coming to you for services, like how, how do you help them get through the grief recovery process? Like, what are some of the things that you do? How, what is your approach to this? So I want to frame this response around grief, including death of a loved one, as well as other types of grief, since I work with kids with chronic medical illness who may be grieving 
changes in their lives because of their medical illness or having Mm -hmm. a parent with a medical illness. So I just want to frame my response within that. um, Okay. Because there's a lot of types of grief. Um, I know. But I, I think the first thing I do is show these kids that I'm comfortable talking about either a death or whatever the source of their grief is. Mm-hmm. So I don't dance around it. I put it out there and name it um, from the beginning. And I also let them know <clears throat> that we will discuss it, but when and how they want to and what's comfortable for them. So mm-hmm. in this context, it's important for them to feel a sense of control and let them feel like they can pace it for themselves. So as I talked before about how kids can sort of um, cycle in and out of grief from grief to play, um, Mm -hmm. I do this in session because the intensity of the emotion can be really overwhelming. So I have other activities ready or with older, like teenagers, we talk about other things that don't have to do with the heavy issues about why they're there. Um, if we are talking about the death and the grief and they start to look overwhelmed, I -hmm. do comment on this and kind of give them permission that we can talk about it more later or we can keep going. And then they tell me what feels right to them. Um, So I think what's really important is that they feel a sense of agency in the discussion. So Mm -hmm. I'm not making assumptions about what they can tolerate and they're kind of leading the way, but I'm showing them that they don't have to worry about me or protect me like they mm-hmm. often feel about their parents um, and that mm-hmm. we can dig into it when they're ready. Mm-hmm. I also try and normalize their experience as much as possible to say, hey, this is part of grief. Like all of a sudden it's really hard to pay attention in school. That's mm-hmm. okay. It's normal. You know, we can work on it, but it's, it's normal or to help them prepare for what to expect, like memories or emotions becoming stronger close to birthdays or holidays or other reminders of their loss. So I think they don't feel so blindsided when those times get harder. And of course, Mm -hmm. it's essential that I'm always maintaining contact with the parents to make sure that the parents are also getting support that they need for their Mm -hmm. grief process Mm -hmm. because the number one thing that affects a child's grieving process is the parent's grieving process if, mm-hmm. you know, both of them are affected by, you know, a loved one. So mm-hmm. I think um, that's where I really share with the parent that they, they do need to put themselves first in that situation mm-hmm. if their grief is debilitating and it's getting in the way of caring for their child. Mhm. I yeah, so I totally get that. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> yes, I totally get that. And you know, like how might a parent even know when they might want to seek professional help? Could it be, you know, like some of the behaviors that might start to exhibit while when the child's in school or some stuff happening at home? Cuz you I would I would think that you there is a period of time when, you know, things have changed, it's not normal, and so a child's mm-hmm. behavior might change. But is that enough at that point to say, you know, that, you know, I need to get some professional help from my child? Right. 
Yes, and this is also a very common question. It can be really hard to, you know, make that distinction of when to reach out. So I think that um, the very first point I'll make is if a child asks for help and says, I really would like to talk to someone, that is amazing. They have some insight and motivation and go with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um you may think they seem fine, but if they actually speak up and say, I want some help, then they're holding a lot in, and I think that's great that they even speak up. But in my experience, most kids are not asking for a therapist. I know. Um, so other than that, I think that um, I think it's normal to have a few weeks of sort of, and again, depending on the relationship, how close they are to the person who died and how much it affects them. There will be, you know, a few weeks of just sort of maybe harder to pay attention in school. Uh, Sleep might be affected, appetite, some more irritability, you know, some mood changes. And, but these things may kind of cycle and go up and down. And when I think there's more of a need for professional support is when these symptoms just seem pervasive or lasting longer than a few weeks and or how the child is functioning in their day-to-day has changed dramatically. So Mm -hmm. if a straight-A student is now failing, um, that's a red flag. Or um, if they are now really withdrawn and isolated and they used to be really social and with the family a lot, then that's another find that there's something maybe more serious to address. And of course, uh, anytime a child says something about thinking about their wanting to die themselves, that's an immediate, we need professional help um, sign. So, and in fact, if they have a plan at all, they should be taken to the emergency room. But it's something to just keep in mind as your child is going through the grief process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. Now, this morning, I tweeted, um, put on Twitter, like a an article that I saw that I thought was very helpful in talking about, um, you know, the death of a pet and how to help children with that. And you also um, pointed to, you know, gave us the link to one of your posts about uh, death of a pet and how to help children with that. So that could, that could be a child's first exposure to death, right? The death of a pet. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. It often so is. talk about that. And I, yeah, I think it is such a great opportunity to have this discussion and really go through the process of learning about death and dying as, you know, being a parent supporting your child And I shared, as you said, on my own blog, because our own family, uh, our beloved dog, Ellie, Mm -hmm. of 13 years, so she preceded all of our human children, um, Mm -hmm. she died somewhat suddenly in, uh, in May, and it was really a test for me to practice what I preach. And at the mm-hmm. time, my kids were eight, six, and three. And it really did give me an appreciation for how hard it can be to have these conversations. But what, what we did 
Um, and really, because I've been doing this work for so long, I felt more equipped to do it. Mm-hmm. But is we had the opportunity to make a decision before she had died. So she was at the vet, and we knew that she wasn't going to survive long. So we, my husband and I, made the decision to pick up our children and give them the opportunity to say goodbye Mm -hmm. to Ellie. And I really do recommend this if it's possible. Because there's, even if they just pet the animal for a little bit and walk out, that's fine. They've had Mm -hmm. their moment. It's a little bit of a preparation that, you know, this death is happening. So we did that and, again, gave them choices about how much to be involved in it. And it... I think was tough and it was emotional, but they have handled it well since. And, you know, my three-year-old, just to illustrate the developmental differences, even though we explained it very clearly using all my tips I know, Mm -hmm. he was asking, when Ellie is done dying, will she come home and eat her food? Mm. And it was so sweet and Mm -hmm. so normal. And we just kept repeating, she's not coming back. Mm-hmm. She died. That means she's not walking ever again, you know, being really specific. Mm-hmm. And he just had to mm-hmm. kind of live in the house for a few days to understand that what died meant. And mm-hmm. he's the one that, you know, every few weeks he'll tell some random person in a random situation, our dog died. You know, so mm-hmm. he's still sort of processing it. But... It can be a really um, a beautiful experience. It's sad and it's, there's loss, but kind of appreciating our time with Ellie as part of our family, having pictures of her around the house and t- mm-hmm. still telling stories about her has been really nice. And, you know, I think it's important also to kind of, to kind of point out um, something that might not be helpful when a situation like that happens, meaning the child loses a pet. You know, you don't want to say, well, you can get another one. Like right. replace replacing that loss with something else. Or we, we can get you another dog or we can get you another cat or whatever. That doesn't take away the hurt and the pain and the emotions that they experience with the death of the pet that they lost. Right. There will never be another Ellie. Mm-hmm. Our family. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's. Um, you definitely have to look out for that. You started talking a little bit. Um, you know, as you were talking about pet loss and your children developmentally, how children kind of understand death. And I think you know you gave a great example of your three three year old not understanding that her pet was not going to come back. Now, I know this mm-hmm. is a, this can be a, a long, probably, response, um, but can yeah. you just kind of let us know, like, developmentally in general, how do children understand death at what stage? And we only have a few minutes before our next break, so if we yeah. have to um, stop and come back, then we will. Okay, so... Uh, like I've talked before about abstract thinking coming later, this is what's really important understanding death is that younger kids, especially younger than eight, have they're not thinking abstractly yet. So developmentally, that's why that language is so important to be concrete and specific. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they keep asking questions, it's okay. It doesn't mean you did it wrong. 
They just need the repetition and to really kind of keep hearing it over and over to let it process and sink in. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then okay. I think, you know, elementary age, they're starting to think more concretely, kind of 8 to 12. Um, they're starting to understand their place in the world outside of just the family. So kind of how that affects how they see relationships and everything like that. Um, they may have more questions or processing related to that. And then teenagers, <laughs> teenagers <laughs> are already, you know, have all these fun challenges, but they are so tied into their social identity and that's kind of their job in adolescence that they mm-hmm. may gravitate even more toward their peer group in this time of grief and kind of family stress. And that can feel stressful to the family because they want to feel close. Um, okay. The teenager may be seeking more support from peers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you got it in. So thanks I for sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> and we're about to go into our next break. And I'm talking with uh, clinical psychologist, Dr. Emily Edlin. She is the author of her blog and website, The Art and Science of Mom. We will be right back to continue our conversation. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit TherapyOakPark.net. That's TherapyOakPark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief. Welcome back. This is Addie Anderson, and I am talking today with Dr. Emily Etlin, and we're talking about children in grief. We will continue our conversation, and before we left we were talking about developmentally how children understand death. So let's just even go back a a little earlier in life to babies and toddlers, right? Mm -hmm. So we understand that babies and toddlers um, don't have an understanding of death for the most part. You know, they can't say how they feel. So how might they respond to, let's just say, a parent's death or someone who, for sure, a parent's mm-hmm. death because they are the, usually the primary caregiver for them at that time. Right. So it is challenging at this stage of development how they don't have the language or the cognitive capacity to process this with parents or other adults. But the death of a close loved one, well, especially a parent, but even if it's someone that is a secondary caregiver that they've become accustomed to, like a grandparent, 
it really will affect them because they'll notice not having that, that for babies, like that scent of that person or the voice of that person, they will notice the absence and the loss. And so mm-hmm. I think what, how they show this, since they can't talk about it, is sleep often changes and there's disruption in sleep. Um, you'll see more irritability than usual, so maybe longer crying periods or more tantrums, um, and often maybe a decreased appetite or wanting only certain foods. So it's like the baby-toddler version of comfort foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes lower activity levels. They're kind of aware that things are different and it's confusing and they may not keep keep up their physical development and milestones just for a few weeks um, as they're reacclimating or readjusting. And then, of course, as you might expect, uh, there could be more clinginess or signs of separation anxiety around mm-hmm. um, people they are close to leaving. So those are things to look out for. And I will say that the death of a parent for a baby or toddler, mm-hmm. that's going to have much far-reaching effects. Um, and these changes won't necessarily resolve as quickly as for, let's say, a grandparent death, where Mm -hmm. after a few weeks they still have their primary caregivers and they'll sort of revert back to their more normal sleep and appetite and behavior. But the death of a parent really is more of a trauma loss. So Mm -hmm. that normal may not happen and it's more adjusting to a a new normal and what's really important um, in that situation is that whatever adults are doing the primary caregiving are as responsive as possible to the child's needs just so the child can keep that consistency of being taken care of as well as um, that emotional responsiveness to keep building trust mm-hmm, through the loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would imagine like a lot of holding and hugging and, you yeah. know, the ways of reassuring them that they're safe and what is you have to step that up a little bit, I, I'm thinking, at that time. Yeah, and they'll probably let you know they need it mm-hmm. by acting out more. <laughs> you, know, when, you know, when I, um, as I, in my work with adults, you know, grieving, you know, one of the things or questions I generally ask is about their spiritual beliefs and what they might, what they think about um, the afterlife or what are their thoughts about what happens after someone dies, Mm -hmm. because I think that might play into, you know, how they grieve. So uh, what do you say to children if they were to ask, you know, what happens after people die? So I, first of all, really support parents having that conversation initially and first. Mm-hmm. And I, but I do see, you know, especially nowadays, there are more and more people that aren't belonging to an organized religion or maybe don't have a really solid faith system. So they don't have the answers and they worry about how to answer that question. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think, again, we come back to honesty and being able to say, 
you know, nobody knows for sure what happens after people die, but Mm -hmm. many people believe, or you could say I believe, that people go to heaven or there's an afterlife or whatever the belief is that you do feel strongly about. Um, But I also say that it really is okay to say you don't know and Mm -hmm. not have an answer. It's okay Mm -hmm. if that's what's honest. Um, And there's actually a really nice book that I've used called The Next Place. It has Mm -hmm. very beautiful art, and it sort of describes people who die as living on through love and beauty and, you know, seeing them in different parts of the earth and in life. So it's kind of a nice, a religious but sort of spiritual way to have something concrete with young kids as, Mm -hmm. you know, if it fits your your belief system. Mm Mm-hmm. But you know, hard, if, if I had to, if I had to pick out a theme of what I'm hearing you say, you know, within our conversation about working with children and grief is, and that theme would be honesty. It's like just to be as truthful and honest as you know, to be able to yeah. kind of help them, you know, get through what they're going through. So I think that's where sometimes in our mission to protect our children and it's our instinct to protect them, that when we try and protect them from this idea of death, we're not honoring that they are also very resilient. And Mm -hmm. they. this is part of life and living is understanding death. And there are different cultures around the world that, you know, have less anxiety about it than our Western American culture does. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that the more we can model to our children that we can talk about this and it doesn't have to be scary, um, that that helps them with their own grief process, not just now, but the lifetime is full of different losses, um, Mm -hmm. whether it's through people we love dying or other types of losses that we grieve. So it's really mm-hmm. giving our kids a gift of, mm-hmm. of equipping them to feel prepared because we've helped them at the beginning when they need our support to be able mm-hmm. to do it independently when they're older. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that might be a good place for us to even talk about other kinds of losses. You know, you just mentioned mm-hmm. that death is not the only loss that could manifest these grief reactions. So... What are other kinds of losses that, you know, we can expect that children would have to create that, that might lead to the grief reactions? So I think, you know, some clearly come to mind like divorce, you know, and having a big change in the family um, where there may not, everyone's still alive, but there's different living situations uh, and that's really challenging. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think even having a parent with a chronic medical illness or a life-threatening medical illness become diagnosed, um, there becomes a sort of before and after of our family. And we used to be able to do all these activities, and now mom has to be in bed a lot or dad's in a lot of pain or something 
has changed that really affects the family's everyday living. So, mm-hmm. I mean, these are significant losses that maybe don't strike us, you know, as grief in the same way because there's not a specific death, but mm-hmm. these big changes. Or if a child themselves is either diagnosed or has an injury. I've worked with kids and teenagers with spinal cord injuries and adjusting mm-hmm. to life, you know, with paralyzed limbs. That's a huge grief process. Um, Absolutely. Grieving, functioning before and functioning now in a new normal. So I think it's um, when you really start to think about it, you realize how grief is really everywhere and a thread in life um, and a very natural part of life. I think even transitions to college, there can be a Mm -hmm. grieving process of growing up and, and leaving the family unit and it can cause higher anxiety. So mm-hmm. I just think there's a lot of different ways to conceptualize it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, working with the, you know, with your work experience in the medical field, like what, what would you say to a child? Like what can parents say to a child about a sick loved one before, before their death? So I also think this is really important, and I um, often see parents definitely wanting to protect their children because I think there's this sort of human response to hold out hope that the death isn't really going to happen until the very last breath. And But again, if there's an opportunity of a loved one being really sick and in hospice, for example, Mm-hmm. Being able to talk to your child about it, explain what's happening very concretely for the younger children again, but explain what's happening and giving them a choice, if it's possible, logistically, to say goodbye to this person or to make them a picture or write them a letter or do something that helps them feel connected to that person. It can mm-hmm. be really a healing part of the overall grief journey. Um, to have that sort of, that goodbye, that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, end-of-life phase can be very strange and up and down, and we don't know, we can never say exactly how many days someone has left to live, so it feels Mm -hmm. hard to say, well, what if I bring this up and they don't die for two weeks, you know? Well, that's okay, but, you know, the child has been prepared, and, um, and they'll have their own way of, letting you know how they're dealing with it and what it's like for them. But I, in all my time working with kids, you know, they have shown me that they can handle this. Mm -hmm. And I've had kids that I think, oh, they're way too anxious to go through X, Y, or Z. And then they rise to the challenge and they do it and -hmm. they don't regret it. And I think it's trusting that our kids can know what they need and we just need to listen to them and let them lead the way um, and not be projecting our own anxiety and fears Mm -hmm. onto the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's very important to hear you say uh, not to project our own fears and anxiety onto them because I think that's exactly what happens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I am thrilled to have you on. It has been a pleasure to have you talk about children and grief. Is there something you'd like to close with, 
you know, as we're about to end the show? I would just say that our children are strong and resilient and amazing and can handle much more than we realize. And to give them the dignity and agency to go through the process of managing death and grief is actually a gift we can give them as parents. So I think reframing that helps us feel more empowered and um, confident, hopefully, about doing this with our children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so how can people find you? How can they follow you on, on social media? So my I am on Facebook, the art and science of mom, and then Twitter at Dr. Emily Edlin, Instagram at Dr. Emily Edlin, and my website is emilyedlinphd.com. Awesome. Thank you again. It has been uh, a real pleasure for me to speak with you, and I just know listeners will um, just get loads of information and ideas on things they can do to help their children through grief. And I want to thank everybody else for listening. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I want to thank the listeners. Thank you so much for listening. If you have a show idea or would like to be a guest, please email me at letstalkgrief at gmail.com. Or feel free to call me at 708-870-6255. My website address is therapyoakpark.net. Please follow me on Twitter at Begin with Addie and like my Facebook page at Begin Within Counseling Services. Thanks again for listening and have a wonderful week. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk About Grief. Please join your host, Addie Anderson, again next Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we speak again, be there for a loved one who might need you this week.